0: everybody. Welcome to the Hard Truth Inside the Football Industry podcast with me, Philip Heidson, and Dara McAnthony, chairman and co owner of English League One side, Peterborough United. So, Dara, you're back in England?
1: Back in England, pal. Hard Truth. Football fucking sucks. But yeah, back in England <laughs> and uh, the cold weather. I'm going to go out and buy a Christmas tree after this with the missus. Nice. Uh, and for those people freaking out or the COVID freakers, it's uh, there's no quarantine from UAE to England. And uh, we did PCR tests on Friday. So, Everything's good to go. Um, yeah, it was great. You know, travel back yesterday through Heathrow, and uh, yeah, the, the family haven't actually been here since last Christmas, so it was nice. You know, they missed their summer thing because of all the lockdowns. So nice to be back, and uh, nice to get away from America and you know the toxicity and all the shit and the politics and the you know, only only to then jump into some politics over here in England. Do you know what I mean, else, but yeah, nice to be uh, nice to be back. Bar all the football results, but yeah, good to be back.
0: What's the plan for Christmas then? How long are you hanging around in the UK?
1: Uh, probably here for a good few weeks. The family will go back on the 1st of Jan and then I'll probably do a bit of business. I'll travel across Europe, probably come back in and out here to do stuff here football-wise and, you know, see what the, the window needs. Um, uh, yeah, and that, that's kind of the plan. So it's not just like a holiday for me. You know, there is work. Tomorrow night I'll be At the EFL Trophy game, I think our fans are back, so that'll be nice to see some faces. They won't be happy faces, but it'll be nice to see some faces.
0: Hopefully they'll be a bit happier at full time.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Listen, you'd like to think so, wouldn't you? So uh, I think the young guns are out, so hopefully they'll show a little bit more bottle and uh, determination and uh, a little bit more freedom and, uh, yeah, enthusiasm, because that's what we need.
0: Yeah, so another, uh, was it 2-0 at the weekend? You lost to Portsmouth.
1: Yeah, it was probably the easiest game Portsmouth's ever played. Um, we changed formation. We, you know, it's, it's uh, yeah, it wasn't great. Look, you can talk about formations, but at the end of the day, players have to go out and do the job. And uh, we've lost confidence. Players have lost form. I said it earlier on Instagram, you know, some big, big players, you know, like um, big hitters, they've lost form and they have to find their form because you don't win nine out of 10 or eight out of nine games, go top of the league, you know, beat Hull away and then go through a run where you're losing to Chorley, mm-hmm. and then you're losing to AFC Wimbledon, and then you're going to Portsmouth and you know, rolling over and getting your arse tickled, Why Portsmouth have the easiest win of the season. You can blame managers, you can blame tactics, but players have set their own standards, and they've dropped way below. Um, my only criticism would be, we built the squad, we recruited for a certain way to play, and we had players behind. If there were injuries, you had players behind. Granted, you would have to go with a younger player. It's what we decided Like left wing-back would be, as an example, Butler and then Burroughs right wing back would be Ward and Kanu. You know, that, that's decided in the summer. That's not decided by me. That's in consultation with management. You play your formation, you call it 3-5-2, or call it what do they call it now? Uh 4-2-3-1 or whatever it's called. Not 4-2-3-1. It's called like 3-4-2-1. Is that too many players? Yeah, three, four, two, one, or whatever else, you know, your wing backs. So and we kind of went away from that. And I think sometimes you can make the mistake when you're not playing well. You start looking for things. You start searching and you change things. And I think footballers are simple creatures. You've got to keep it stupid, simple, kiss. One of my favourite sayings. And it's like, look, yeah, a Burroughs or a canoe might get destroyed in a Portsmouth. But you know what? Have at it. You have to sometimes let the youth off the off the hook. You've got to try. You've got to put them in there. At least they'll have eight, nine players with them playing in the formation they know. And we've got to play our way into winning. Yeah. And we've, we planted a flag in the sand in the summer. It was two ways we were going to play. It was this way. And then there was one other way, which we've gone to a couple of times this season. That was our kind of fall to formation and tight games or tough games. So I just said to the gaff afterwards, I said, look, sometimes football can be overanalyzed. Sometimes we do things that we don't need to do. He has the full support. Do you know what I mean? It's one of the safest jobs in football. And we, I said to him, you know, the owners, myself, my partners, we, you know, we want young, a young team. We want to bring true young players. Our youth team won 6-0 on Saturday. They've gone top of the league. You know, we've got terrific young players. You don't want to kill them by putting four or five of them in. Because that would kill them. But the idea being is you you sample. So, you know, if two of them have to start the game, great. And then one or two of them come off the bench and have 20, 30 minutes, great. EFL trophy game, great. It's a great experience. Because they are good enough. But you'll never know how good they can be unless you give them some game time. Mm-hmm. So, if you lose your left wing back or your right wing back, have at it and put the youngsters in. Let them play through. Let the rest of the team carry them and start winning. Let those young players bring some enthusiasm that maybe other players playing out of position won't. And I'm not trying to teach people how to suck eggs and if Alan Swan's listening, I don't want headlines saying manager moans about formation or manager moans about players being picked instead. Players set their own standards. Do I think we'll continue like that? No, I'd like to think our players will you know, find their minerals again and start winning games because that's what they've got to do. And we've got a big batch of fixtures coming up. And, and the quicker we get back two, three, four wins on the spin, it'll be forgotten. You know, I'm as angry as everyone else. Yeah, there's no point in reading social media because everyone's losing their shit. It's the same old crap. It's Peter every year. We can keep saying that, but most years it's different players, it's different staff. There is no curse, there is no mental thing with our players. It's just this is what happens in football at times. Players lose confidence, they have a couple of ropey results. As much as you get ropey results, you feel like you're not going to win again. You find a way to win and you go again. And that's just the way it goes. And if we want to be in a promotion race, we've got to find our minerals again and we have to stick to what we know what we set up to do in the summer we have to stick to it we have to believe conviction of our beliefs and get on with that and that's what i said to the gaffer who was probably very low after the portsmouth game i said you know you're an amazing manager you've been around a long time you know you know ignore the white noise focus on what you're very good at coach the team the way you want to coach them play to the beliefs that you believe in where we want to score more goals than the opposition, mm-hmm. setting up to try and nick a win or to stay in the game is not us. I'd rather lose five fucking nil. You know what I mean? Or, you know, to go out and try and win four two, four three, five three. I don't want to see us rolling around like we're one chance a game. Peterborough is always about the the opposition goalkeeper has to make saves, and just recently too many goalkeepers could have gone on a cruise holiday during a match, and that's not us. That's not who we are. So. Those players, and if they're listening, and quite a few of them do listen to this, I'd imagine, or so I'm told, look yourself in the mirror, You know, have a word with yourselves, and get back to doing what you know you can do. You don't batter teams and win away from home with top teams without having something about you. And I know we've got something about us.
0: How much is it on the player versus kind of the support of the club in helping players come back to form? You know, is form really in the player its confidence they need to find something within them? Or can you do something, whether it's in training or whatever it is, to help them?
1: A good football team can win a game with two players all form. A good football team cannot win a game with five or six players all form mm-hmm. and not five or six big players. And defensively, we won the Golden Gloves last year. We haven't changed our offense that much, but we look like Ragars Rovers. From set pieces and corners so it could be little things like your defenders need to fucking get their shit together and concentrate and stop conceding stupid goals you cut them out it gives your attacking players the ability to if they miss a chance it's no big deal they get another one yeah. and saying that our attacking players are missing one-on-ones so what that can be sometimes is confidence but eventually the dam will break one goes in two goes in three goes in wimbledon the other night you know we've missed from four yards that goes in we win that game three four five no
2: mm-hmm.
1: um sometimes it's small little things so I can't say what they do in the training ground, but it shouldn't be a morgue. I would imagine the manager is trying to freshen them up. He's trying to lighten the load. He's trying to get them playing with a smile on their face again. Don't forget, you know, we were locked up for a long time. Players should be seeing this as a second chance. So to see us playing the way we're playing at the moment, and the other thing as well I'd say is, like I said about a forcement game, you know, to, to get players to play to their strengths, to get players back into form, sometimes you have to be stubborn and go, well, That's how we set out to play. And we're going to have to do, there's no point in in tinkering and meddling and playing a different way. Players haven't played yet or putting players into a team where they don't belong in a position and you're trying to search for something. That puts them under more pressure. So say to the players, there's the challenge. You're going back to the way you're meant to play. I want you to play there. There's four or five games. Go win three or four of them. Yeah. You know, it doesn't matter. And that's how it's got to be. At the end of the day, we've got good enough players. It's up to them now to play their way out of this little shitty run the (laughs) ring.
0: Yeah, I often wonder about kind of tinkering. That's what we've been doing at Bradford, at least earlier in the season, was you know, you're tinkering every week with different formations and you're picking formations to try and nullify the oppositions rather than playing to your strength to go out to win. And you know, with with all due respect to the players involved, you think maybe it would be better if we just have one way and get and be as good as we can in playing that one way. And maybe we can start tinkering around when you start to win. But when you try to do that from a, a position of weakness, it feels like you're, you know, it's just making the job even harder.
1: Repetition for me in life is so important. The way I brought my children up, the way I sold real estate, the way I did things, repetition, repetition, repetition. The human mind is like a computer sometimes. If you do the same things 10 times, you should get the same result 8, 9 out of 10 times. The same when I used to do sales. I'd look at my statistics in sales. I had a certain pitch and I could write my pitch down. Even when I worked in timeshare, if I did my pitch 10 times, I would get, in timeshare, usually you get 2 out of 10. I used to do 7 out of 10. And I did the same pitch. You would see my pitch book, and I have one next to me here. Over and over, same pitch, same pitch, same pitch. And I would get the same results Over, I did it 10 times. If I went off and did five different and five different, it would be a different result. It's the same in football. You set up a certain way if You know that's the way that's got you top of the league. If you know that's the way, like Tottenham at the moment, play counter-attacking football. Mourinho's getting criticized for having 29% possession against Arsenal. Who gives a fuck? Because the history books will tell you they won 2-0 and they went top of the Premier League. So he would look at it and go, if he keeps the same squad and plays 38 games and he plays that way, they've got a pretty good chance of being top three and not winning the title Mm -hmm. if they did it. Maybe he loses two games and suddenly the pressure's on to have more of the football and change the possession. Suddenly, I guarantee over 10 games, it'll be different. So repetition is key for the human mind the mental side of things. It's the same in football. So yes, it's good to mix it up sometimes. Yes, sometimes if it's not working, you have to make a change in a game. But I'm not so sure before a game. And I'm not so sure multiple times in a small, like I said, we've played 16 games this season. You know, we had two go-to formations and we introduced a third. For me, in 16 games, that's too early. You know, stick to what you're good at, stick to what you know you're good at. And if you're worried about, well, I'm, I'm missing my two wingbacks, okay, we'll play the younger players. Because that's what you've got to try and do. That's what you're back to do. Our whole thing as a club is to bring great young players through. To fuck with everything else. We want to see young players graduating from the academy. We want to see young players thriving in the first team. And yes, it's tough to bring them in when you're struggling in the, with league results. But at what time do you bring them
0: in? Yeah, there's never a perfect time.
1: Yeah, there's never a perfect time. And it's not like you're throwing five of them under the bus right now. So if it's one or two or three, okay, so be it. You know, we've been unlucky losing some key players, but everyone's going to have that same issue. So, you know, when you have a good squad, we have a good squad. You know, you get over that and you just get on with it. I, I fully expect us to start winning again. And when, when we do start winning again, trust me, we'll win well. And we'll, mm-hmm. win, in, we'll win in spats. So that, that's the key.
0: Coming up on, what are we? We're recording on Monday. When this goes out, you'll have already played, I think. But you've got the EFL trophy tomorrow night, Tuesday night, yep. where some of the kids are going to get a chance again, I think. And are yep. uh, you going to get some fans back in the ground?
1: Yeah, we'll have some fans in the ground. We'll have a lot of teenagers playing. Um, be a chance. I'm not sure if the manager's playing any first-teamers. Maybe a few of them should play um to to get that winning feeling back and play
0: themselves into form.
1: Yeah, play themselves into form. Sometimes you do that. Then we have a home game against Rochdale on Saturday, game against MK Dons. Um look, the game's come thick and fast. It doesn't matter who you play. Sometimes you look at fixtures and go, oh, we got AFC Wimbledon, we should be able to win that. It doesn't work like that in League 1. And you don't always get what you deserve in football. You know, Wimbledon had three shots on goal, scored twice, hit the post. We had 17 shots on goal. So it just football doesn't work like that. Um, But I know one thing, if you keep playing like that and keep playing like that, like against Plymouth, we had loads of chances. Against Wimbledon, we had loads of chances. Yes, we didn't win. And then we went away from the way we played in those two games to something different for Portsmouth. So odds are you keep playing like that, you keep getting those 16, 17 chances, you know, statistically, it will
0: work. I think about us, you know, we're 23rd in the table, second bottom in the table, another couple of defeats. Mm -hmm. Um, And, you know, the depressing thing, like you said, was, you know, you talked about it. The flip side, you get 17, 18 shots. The goals are going to come. You know, I think we had four shots on target over the last three games. We had zero on Saturday. Not good enough. Against 26. Uh, we had actually six shots, none on target, Oldham had 26. Not good enough. Um, and that's how it's been. And it's like, you don't necessarily see a light at the end of the tunnel.
1: That's frustrating. Like, you know, against Plymouth, I think we had 16. Against Wimbledon, we had 16. You know, Chorley, we were fucking rubbish. Then we went to Portsmouth, we were absolute rubbish. At least when you go... For me, you look at Plymouth and go, we look great offensively. We just didn't score. You know, against Wimbledon, the goalie didn't make any saves. But Christ Almighty, we had enough chances like from distance, opening them up, getting into the box, hitting it wide. So we're not... We're not actually working a goalie, but we're actually getting in those positions. We had 67% possessions. So I know what you're saying is when you ever run a games where you don't ever look like scoring, you think when are you like Arsenal are having it at the moment? Mm-hmm. They've lost five, six out of 10, 11 games in the Premier League, but they don't look like scoring goals. And that, that sometimes is more of a concern. So if, if we played the next couple of games, and again, we, we're not looking like scoring, that's a concern for me. That's something like, OK, what the fuck's going on here? So, yeah, for you, I don't know what to say to you. You're in the lowest ebb you're at. For me, the last few results really low ebb. You know, I said to you that you know after the game in Dubai, you know I was in Dubai for two weeks with my family. We lost three or four games. It was horrendous. Sometimes the mental pressure on you after games. You know what I mean? It's like God. I look around at my family. I go, they don't deserve my mannerisms afterwards, where I'm down or I'm not up. And there's only so much you can take in football for so long. You know what I mean? And it's like you
0: know. I mean, you take it personally.
1: You do, you do, you do, and you get hammered and whatever else. Like I said, you know, social media is a a cruel place when you don't win, um, you know, particularly for someone like high profile who's out there, like puts themselves out there. You mm-hmm. know, when we win, I have three comments on a Saturday night. When we lose, it's 28. So yeah. there's no balance sometimes with it. Um, but I don't kick the ball. All I can do is, and I stand by, it was the best recruitment we've ever done. Um, the rest is now down to the manager, the players, the staff, myself, Jason and Randy have done everything we can for the football yeah. team. Um, there's nothing else we can do we can't put our boots on as Barry likes to say and go out and kick the ball the players at some stage have to give you payback and quite frankly at the moment they're nowhere near that
0: well they got all the tools to do the job by the sounds of it
1: they do otherwise I'll take their chef away from them
0: <laughs>
1: fucking league one players, I.
0: honestly
1: <laughs>
0: so let's go to the Premier League very briefly sure. then you touched on Arsenal 15th in the league what's going on there you know I'm already hearing about Ateta wanting him sacked and it's been an interesting ride for them.
1: Yeah, listen, he won the FA Cup. I think he deserves more time than that to, to sack him. He's probably overdoing it. They probably play too much. You know, they probably have more possession, more passes than anyone else, but they're not incisive enough. They're not. They're not cutting people open. Um, they've got a confidence issue when they do create chances. Um, mm-hmm. I fully expect Arsenal top six by the end of the season. I think the owners will give him time. I think they know he's an intelligent coach. Um, he's definitely got pedigree. But I don't think you should go out and fix it in January. I think sometimes, again, I've said there, you put a flag in the sand. You know, the only way we would do business in January is if we sold a player. You know, I don't want to go out and get three, four players. It's just it can't be the answer all the time. And not for our club. And it's why we're now forcing, you not forcing, but putting pressure on the academy needs to be used. Because the answer can't always be sign player, sign player. Not not in a pandemic, not where we are at the moment. So if I were Arsenal, I would come out and go, if we have to, We'll play a lot of younger players, but we're backing the manager. Next summer, we have to get rid of everyone, all the players. We'll do it. Mm -hmm. But the manager gets our full backing.
0: Yeah. um, You know, and I hate to bring it back to us again, but it was out in the paper this morning that, you know, there's money there for Bradford to spend in the the window. and, And it seems like we're putting all of our hopes on the window. Can't do that. The naivety is that, You know, I think they thought that they'd be around the playoffs going into January, and they saved all the money to go and have a push to get promoted. And obviously, that's not worked out for them. And so now you're putting the, you know, you can say the future of the club potentially based on how badly it goes. But there's a lot of pressure on January, and that's when you have least leverage, I think, in the market because everyone knows it.
1: Correct. Well, when you're in a when you're in a situation where you're there, you could lose football league status. You might need to make two or three key signings a spine. Mm -hmm. You might need a midfielder, a defender, and a striker. So you bring a spine in. You might want to bring characters in. You might want to bring people, give people a lift. You know, where we are with our squad, these players don't need me to give them a constant fucking lift by signing three new players all the time. Um, like I said, if, if if we did business in Jan, it would be selling early and then looking at bringing forward summer signings to Jan
2: mm-hmm. to,
1: to, to plug holes um, and, and deal with injuries. Do you know what I mean? Kind of thing. But for Bradford Count, yeah, I mean, look, it's, it, it's dark times, but they've got a very experienced manager. Now, yeah. no doubt he will get back in in January, but at the end of the day, you don't want seven, eight, nine players because that's just going to be Harry Carry
0: Yeah, because now they've got to gel again and now you march yeah, and yeah, um, yeah, you yeah. know you're in trouble. So anyway, we'll see how that goes. Back to the Premier League. I just wanted to bring up Sheffield United. Mm. You know, sitting on one point, mm. seems like second season syndrome.
1: No, Wilder's a brilliant manager. What he's done there has been tremendous and there'll be all those calls for bringing a, a Sam Allardyce in or bring whatever in because it'll be the money. It's always the pressure of you know you got to stay in the Premier League. But yeah. my only problem with Wilder would be his recruitment. He spent a lot of money on strikers, and I'm mm-hmm. not sure they were the best strikers to do the business in the Premier League. And that was last year as well as this year. I mean, you know, Billy Sharp was still scoring last year. McGoldrick was still scoring last year. I'm not sure. You know, he spent 24 million on Brewster. You know, 16, 17 million on Ollie McBurnie.
0: Which I'm very thankful for, but he's not done anything, and it was like a surprise that uh, he went there. To be honest, I,
1: I like Ollie McBurney. Um, he probably needed another year in the championship. Yeah, um, he's young. Bruce, I never saw. You know, yes, he scored for Swansea on loan last year, or whatever else. But was he a 24? Now Liverpool get a lot of money for their reserves and their stiffs. I mean, no chances. He worth 24 million. You look at Ivan Tony. Could Ivan Tony have you know with Chris Wilder and Shep, as a target man? Mm-hmm. Could he have brought them in? Could he have had them play differently? you know, for a fraction of what they paid for Ian Brewster. But again, it's like we're in the Premier League. We must go and buy Liverpool Reserve for 24 million. I think if they win one, they'll win three or four. But they need to win quickly. Yeah, They're running out of time. And when you're down there and you're in a fight, like what happened? yesterday, they've already scored in the 19th minute. That's just so typical when you're like scratching and, and, and crawling for even the slightest bit of like help. You know, you're thinking a great point, take the point, Leicester, move on. And then they get sucker punched. Yeah. Uh, and it seems to happen when you're going in a bad run or you're in the wrong end of the table. If they win the next game, they win three or four. Look, they have a chance. There's some bad teams in the Premier League. West Brom are a bad team. You know, there's, there's a few bad teams in there. So I, I wouldn't I wouldn't bet against them. But from a recruiting mm. point of view, if they manage to stay in the Premier League, they really need to look at what they're doing on the transfer front.
0: And I think it's, you know, you get in that situation. We were there in our second year. This is 20 years ago. But, you know, by this time of the year, you already knew you were down. So it's really hard for the mindset to not think in that way.
1: The one saving grace they would have, and I've always said this, if you're a team struggling at the end of the Premier League to stay there, you should always buy with one eye on the championship. For example, could you see McBurney and Brewster destroying championship defenses all day long? So you would fancy them with the squad they have. You sell one or two like Bournemouth did to try and cover the bills. They could storm the championship if they got back down. But it's too early to talk about that. But i would be the one saving grace. But I would hate to see Wilder lose his job. Because I think after what he did... He deserves the full
0: season. Yeah, I completely agree with that because then you're just going to bring in a journeyman who's, uh, you know, what's the chances of him doing any better than what Chris Wilder has done?
1: Sam Allardyce ain't going to play overlapping centre-backs, that's for sure.
0: (laughs) (laughs) So we got the bailout arrived. I I say bailout with uh, tentatively Mm. because it seems that with all the best intentions, it's not a great deal of money, but it's hard to complain about getting some money in uh, League one, £375,000. League two, 000, And then mm. you can go and top up based on your crowd size. Yeah. And then there's another grant to dip into mm-hmm. if you're really in trouble. But, you know, that comes with a million different strings. So you're not going to want to take that unless you're on the uh, bankruptcy door.
1: It's nine months of waiting for a bailout and negotiating a bailout. And you get near a 400 grand. All the millions we've lost, the, yeah. the government's taken away from us. Do you know what I mean? And, and whatever else. So... You don't want to feel ungrateful, but you do, mm-hmm. because that's not a great deal. When I was in Dubai Sky, everyone was trying to get me to come on and comment, and I was just like, no, nah, I'm, I'm on a holiday. But in my opinion, no, the deal is nothing short of a disgrace. I expected at least a million, yeah. and then I expected then the government to try in another million. That changes things. That gets us all back to where we kind of need to be. But when you start adding up everything that's around, it's a fucking disaster. It's not good. And then... To apply for help and then it leaks that you're one of the clubs that applied for help and then you can't sign a player in January. There's all the conditions on it because it's almost like if you're a well-run club, you're punished, whereas other people can go out and dip and get money. Yeah, I I, I don't like it. I thought it would be better. I thought it was 50 million for 40 clubs. We'd all get near enough a million each. Yeah. Then I would, I would hope the government would be a little bit more with their bailout they've done for everyone else. Yeah,
0: we'll throw a bit more in as well. Yeah,
1: but 300, 400 grand, now that's not going anywhere fast. Uh, there will be trouble ahead, in my opinion.
0: On that note, do you think all 72 EFL clubs are going to make it to the end of the season unless there's more help that comes in?
1: No, no, unless the tiers change and they get more fans in, now there's going to be trouble. I think some of them will have to sell. Some big hitters mm-hmm. will have to sell the clubs. There could be dicey times. There won't be as many as before because there is an injection of some money and there is some fans back, but it's not enough fans back. Hopefully these gobshites do away with their nonsensical tear shite. You know, let's talk COVID for a second. California's, as you know, has had one of the most strictest lockdowns for nine months. And yesterday they had 30,000 cases, mm-hmm. which is a record. So you tell me, you know, all these tears and lockdowns and everything else. Are they really doing the job, Phil? show me the science and the statistics to back it up
0: what's very interesting is in california how you know they're going into local lockdowns and you know we used to live there for listeners we got family that lived there um and people are rebelling against it and the police Good. are coming out and saying we're not going to um enforce it. The word? enforce it is the word Love we're it. not going to enforce it because you know people going to an outdoor sit in an outdoor restaurant Mm -hmm. that's not where the super spreader events are. If people are holding a party for 200 people in their apartment, you know, that's where there's some trouble.
1: Golden Boy Newsom, his new one now is, it's not about infections anymore. It's not about deaths. It's not about hospitalizations. It's now about actual ICU numbers. So now anyone with an 85% ICU number uh, is in lockdown. Mm -hmm. What he's failing to tell you is, and I looked because I'm a data guy, all the ICUs this time of year in California are at 90 to 92% with flu season. Mm-hmm. So now we're just gone past the realm of any kind of sense whatsoever. There is no scientific sense to it, considering what a yearly ICU percentage number is. Considering now with the new therapies, remdesivir, not remdesivir, the Regeneron that they're giving requires hospital stays for people to get it because it's IV given. Right. So there's more people going into hospital to get those therapies that aren't actually ill, ill, but they're getting them early on, but you got to stay in hospital for two days to get it. Hence what is a lot more hospitalization. So. You, you know, like I just said to you there, they're testing 2 million a day in America. They getting 200,000 cases because is double the amount of testing they're doing. California's been locked up for nine months. One of the worst places for lockups or lockdowns. And they've got record numbers every day. But thus illustrating again, your lockdowns are a lot of fucking nonsense.
0: Well, this tiering, you know, going back to that for the, for the football. And so we had Harrogate Town, you know, uh, 2,000 people, which great for Harrogate, you know, I'm not, I don't want to diss on Harrogate because great for them. They had 2,000 people in a 4,000 stadium. Yeah. You know, we, Bradford are 22 miles away and can have zero people in a 26,000 seat stadium. It's nonsense. Now, n- nobody probably wants to watch the crap we're serving up right now, but that's kind of beside they the do. point.
2: They do.
0: <laughs> We'd still be there. They do. It d- doesn't make any sense. You got s- nobody in St. James's Park, you know, 56,000 or whatever it is. It's just insane.
1: Man United, seventy six thousand. Yeah, you know, Anfield last night. I watched two thousand people. You know, out of sixty. And by the way, they're all cramped in one stand, aren't they? Mm. Again, you got like four stands in the stadium. You know, it's like uh, for us the same. We this he, he threw us a bone again. It's a couple of crumbs because obviously they can see people are done enough. I don't know how government politics work in the UK. How did they get rid of the prime minister, Phil? Because they're going to get to the stage where. I think when your next election, Labour's a shoe-in now.
0: You can have like all these votes of no confidence that yeah, a- I, through Parliament. And then-
1: I, I, I would imagine there's so little confidence left. Now, I'll give you an example. We get in last night from the airport. We drive to Weybridge, lovely little town. And I counted my missus who were driving by. 13 out of 36 commercial units, shops and whatever else were all gone empty. Mm-hmm. 13 businesses gone from a town in Weybridge. God knows what that's like in the north and gone across the UK. A generation has been lost in businesses. Yes, I understand all the death you know, we had it in Florida the other day. There was, I think, 100 people died. You know, 92% were over the age of 80. God bless their souls. One was 105. But it's like, you know, you look over here and you look at the high street and you look at businesses and people have lost everything and you're going, what are they fucking doing? Here's a really fascinating thing for you being in Dubai because obviously you're out there. It's great to see different cultures, how they handle, it. They, they, they handle the vid. I'm calling it the vid because I watched Chris Rock. <laughs> he did a new show on Netflix. And I love, uh, not Chris Rock, Kevin Hart. I love Kevin Hart. And he did like a comedy show from his house and he he had the vid. So he's speaking about having the vid, the coronavirus, you know. So we're in Dubai and I follow one of the local media companies on social media in Dubai. And up pops the ruler of Dubai at the start of November getting a vaccine. So there he is, he's getting a vaccine. He's already vaccinated all the healthcare workers. He's already vaccinated like frontline workers. The police and all airport staff are next. And then people over a certain age are getting it before Christmas. Guess where the vaccine's from?
0: Yeah, you uh, you said China, right? It's a Chinese vaccine.
1: Correct, China. Yeah. But no one's writing about that in England. Well, no one's even no heard one's of it. No one's writing about it in America. I mean, China have probably had it for nine months. And I'm all for it. Like, I'd row with like, somebody who worked for me yesterday like, I'm not taking the vaccine. I'm like, well, listen, you can stay at fucking home and wear a mask indoors. Yeah, mm-hmm. I'm taking it. All these vax people losing their shit about a vaccine. We will not get our normality back unless we just fucking take it. So the quicker we get all the older people taking it and everyone over 60, and I like the UK's plan that jumped ahead of the queue, brilliant for them. The idiots in America and the FDA are holding it up by 3,000 people a day are dying. Get the fucking thing out. It's 94, 96% efficacy. Let's get it done. Let's just get it done. If we can all run out and get the vaccine and we get all these people over 60 with a vaccine, you won't see as many people in hospital. There won't be as many deaths. Piers Morgan, the press can't write about it anymore. There won't be all the headlines. People will get normality back. And those people who lost their businesses, God bless them. Because, like, seeing what I'm seeing on the high street, Phil, God knows what it's like in Bradford and areas where you mm. live, um, but it's horrendous seeing it. It really, really is sad. You know, and again, it's a generation of lost, like, uh, entrepreneurs who, like, worked in their own businesses for years and who were perfectly healthy people who would have no chance, 99.99% chance of living, who've lost their livelihoods and their, and their families and then coming back from that. So, the, the other side to this tale of what we said will be told in time It's really, really frustrating, isn't it?
0: Unfortunately, you're kind of having to legislate for the, I pause before I use this word, but it's like the the stupidest, mm. if you will. So there's obviously a, a portion of the population who are not helping things. Sure. And so all the legislation is to try and so-called protect everybody against those people. And it's not necessarily, is it the right thing to do? No. Sure. But they don't help.
1: No, they don't. But what doesn't help is the leaders either. And what they've taken upon themselves to make draconian rules. You speak about stupid people, you're right. But the most stupid people throughout this have been world leaders and the way they've handled it and the way they've taken a virus with the percentages we know and locked all fucking millions and billions of innocent people who never had any chance of having an issue with the virus and taken away the, everything they have. There is no one size fits all, but what they've done is absolutely wrong. And, you know, I debate this with my wife when we have a drink because I even said to her, I said, look, looking back now after nine months, where pretty much everyone's been locked up and everyone's lost all of these things. When you see the real numbers, and, and this is what drives your mind, you never see the real numbers for weeks later. But if you see the, re- the real numbers, the average age is like 78, 80 years old, God bless them, who are who are dying seriously of the virus. If we'd really done it properly and kept them safe to lose a vaccine, instead of putting everyone away, if we kept the people who are actually still dying in care homes, still dying of, of, of an, I, I don't know how these people are getting infected and what they're doing because, Like my dad hardly now goes out. He just, you know, he's just until he gets the vaccine, he's pretty much low profile. So I'm kind of asking how are people still dying in care homes? How are they getting it? How are are these care homes not tested? How are people going in not tested? Because if we'd really done it properly and looked after them, well, 99% of people who will never die from the virus were allowed to go about their normal life, what would this year have looked like? Would that have been the right way to, to do it? And I know someone who's listening who's probably 78 years old is probably saying, oh, fuck you. You're not locking me up and blah, 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 blah. I understand that. But look at all the other people who have been locked up who never have an issue or never will have an issue with this virus. So I don't know what the perfect answer was, but I'm sure it wasn't locking all of us up together. Because it's just not work, Phil. It's not work. And by the way, the UK's open again now and the infections are going to go through the roof again. Because guess what? That's what happens. Lockdowns don't work. It just doesn't work.
0: When people are in close proximity, are you going to have that?
1: Yeah. Even if they turn around and said, you know what? After Christmas, here's what we're doing. For 60 days, over the age of 65, we're really encouraging, stay at home. We look after you. We get you the vaccine. Watch the numbers drastically fucking drop. Mm-hmm. Because they are the people who are dying, Phil. You know, when you start looking through the real numbers, they are the people who are dying. And it's horrible to see that we're not actually stopping that. And everyone can blame, oh, well, because people aren't wearing masks. And you said stupid people and young people are going to have party. You're absolutely right. But if you're 60 or 70 or 80, what are you doing hanging around a young person? Yeah. How do those young people infect you? For God's sake, what is going on? This argument that will go on forever. This is so frustrating. Vaccines, let's all take them.
0: Talking about. Politics and football, we have uh good old Brexit. <laughs>
1: mm.
0: Now we have new overseas player rules that came in last week. Be good for us. It seemed like it was. So teams aren't allowed to sign anybody from overseas under 18. Points-based work permit system for the rest. Uh maximum of six. I think it was just under 21s so a maximum mm-hmm. of six that you can buy. So between eighteen and twenty-one. Essentially no more stockpiling of overseas young players. Yeah. Does that increase the value of young play- English young players.
1: Yes, it helps if you have a good academy. It will certainly help in in getting better transfer fees and better deals for the younger players. Because instead of Chelsea going out and buying a load of players from Europe and or Brazil or wherever and parking them in Belgium or parking them elsewhere, they're going to have to be a little bit more um, talented in how they recruit now. And there will be a lot more academies lower down that will get you know raped and pillaged. Dare I use those words? Do you know what I mean, unless they've got a good category. And that's why we're trying to get that cat too, as quick as we can. Like we, at the moment, we've got a couple of players that Prem Club's going to take. So we're trying to negotiate deals as best we can. But the value of those deals for these 15-year-olds or 14-year-olds is like 150 grand. If we were cat 2 it'd be more like a million. So that's why it's so important to get to that level. It's different when we have a 17-year-old who signed a pro deal. We can obviously get a lot more money for them because they're pros. And obviously, we, again, we've got those players that Premier League Club's are trying to buy now. And with this new rule coming in, hopefully it will drive the prices up, which will help us do better.
0: How does, the uh, and this is uh, maybe a, a, an obvious question, that I just don't know the answer to, but sure. why does the categorization of your academy impact what you can charge or what the value of the players are if the prem come in?
1: Under the rule we did, when we when we got more solidarity money, it was agreed there was a tier system. And it was basically, if you went to a tribunal, they do an assessed value on a 13 or a 14 year old, how long they're with the club, blah, 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 mm-hmm. blah, what stage they're at. And it was like 75 grand going up to 150. And then if they made five appearances, X amount more, you get a sell on. And then each category you go up and in, you get more in that tier. And the reason being is because you invest more. So we as, a, as Cat2 would invest double the amount. It would be like, I think over a million quid. Cat3 is half a million. You go up to the top category, it's like 3 million a year gets put into academies. Mm-hmm. So, you know, you get 3 million in funding and you have to put in 3 million. And as you go down the categories, it's different amounts. So what we're trying to do is, by going up in category, we get more funding and we have to put more in, but we get better coaches, we can pay our coaches better, we get better scouting, we get better players we can recruit locally. Having that category would might persuade a player not to go to Leicester or to Norwich's academy and come to our academy mm-hmm. because it's you know, also you've got better facilities. So the payoff to that is if somebody does get like we've got a young England goalie that every club in the country wants, for the most we're gonna get is probably a couple of hundred grand. Mm-hmm. you know it, in another category up we probably get near enough 750 that makes a big difference do you know what i mean and uh you know i hate peddling and selling 12 13 and 14 year olds do you know what I mean? this is what covid's done to us
0: mm-hmm. <laughs> now, let's say you sell that young kid basically yeah. um do you have the ability to build in or is the clauses based on his performance or is it just a it's a cash lump sum you, you,
1: you get a you get a cash lump sum and then you get a percentage when he, may, he signs his first pro deal Okay. Then you, you get another amount when he makes his debut mm-hmm. and then you have a sell-on. So the only way would be, you know, if, if you went all the way to the first team and he then got sold and say Brighton, Brighton bought you a young player and then Brighton sell him like uh, Ben White. He came, let's say, from Peterborough Academy at 11. And then he went to Liverpool for 50 million. Hopefully there's 15% in there, you know, as a sell-on that you're going to get paid down the line. But unfortunately, you know, most clubs don't have nine years to wait for a player to go through puberty grow hairs on his arse cheeks and, go out and you know, get a move. So it doesn't always work like that, but that's kind of the idea. And obviously then if it's a higher category, you get more. But look, that's the way it is. You know, everyone's adapting. We have to adapt like everyone else. You know what I mean? We, we went big this year, budget-wise, everything else. Yeah. But luckily we've sprinkled in there a lot of young players. So if changes need to be made or we need to reassess or redo whatever, we've got some really, really good young talent in there.
0: All right. Well, I'm going to leave it at that. We're going to come back in uh, a moment or two with some listener questions. Hi, everybody, and welcome back to the Hard Truth Podcast. We're going to go straight into some listener Q and A, and uh, we're going to start with a question that we got from Daniel. Daniel says he wants to ask, um, "What do you make of the situation with Jack Marriott?" Uh, He says he's a brilliant player with bags of potential, but hasn't really been given a good run since leaving Posh.
1: Yeah, he he went to Derby and he was Lampard's high, you know, number one target. Then they signed uh, Waghorn, which surprised me. And then he got in, he played, he came out. We saw him come good in the playoffs where he destroyed Leeds, uh, scored some big goals in the playoffs, got him to the final. Should have played in the final. Lampard went with midfielders up front instead of him. So it was mad. I know Lampard and his assistant dug him out quite a few times and that really got to him. I was spoken to the player. Then he had injuries, which is very unlike Jack because he played for us. He played 45 out of 46 games. The only game we left him out was the final one so he could get injured. So he was always fit. So then he was picking up silly injuries because his game is based on pace. He was getting, I think, muscle injuries. So I spoke to him in the summer. You know, he was trying to get a fair run at Derby. He went into the Derby team. They weren't at the best of time, as you can see, with the results Derby have had. He's gone to Wednesday. It hasn't happened. I mean, Jack's still only 26. If we were promoted, I'd probably try and go and sign him. Yeah. I still believe with his ability, there's a player in there. And with his pace, you know, there's a certain way you need to play that suits Jack Marriott. I'm at for him, but he's still young enough to go again. And I know he's got the burning desire to do well.
0: Now, for those that don't know, who aren't posh fans, who who know like me, I know of Jack Marriott. I know that he was banging him in there for a little while, um, but I don't really know the backstory. It seems like he he came in, he did a job immediately, and before you knew it, he was back out um, and that you sold. We we
1: we knew what we were signing. We paid like I think three hundred grand from four hundred grand. It was his game's all about pace, off the shoulder, and we played to that. He won the golden boot by a mile. He was the best player that year in League One, but Bradley Dack won the award as we were into the playoffs. Jack scored some unbelievable goals. He was Mr. Consistent. Never put a bad performance in. He was fully fit the whole season. Then we went to the summer. We sold him to Derby for a good few million because we played Villa in the Cup and he destroyed John Terry. Scored a couple of goals. And I think John Terry told Frank Lampard, if there's one player you want to buy, make him your striker. So yeah, he's still young. He's still got a chance. I know it's not gone well from the last couple of years, but it'll come again.
0: All right. We've got a question from Peter and and Peter asks, uh, I don't really know the context of uh, Peter's background, but his question is, how does one become a scout? You know, how can you get your foot in the door into a scouting system?
1: Well, you know, I'll give you an example. I had a young guy called Ben. I've got two Bens working for me, actually. I shouldn't give their names away. But one of them, uh, the newer one, Ben, you know, was emailing me every week. He's a Bournemouth fan. So he would email me young players, and I'm not. This is no advertising for people to start emailing me, by the way, because I'm, I'm <laughs> full in that department with my two young scouts. And he had a knack for describing players. Uh, he had a good eye. Obviously, recruitment is a big part of what I do. Yeah. So I decided to give him. A, he worked for free for me for a while, mm-hmm. and did a bit of scouting, got into it, and that's how he did it for me. So anyone out there, write to your local club, send them reports, give them an idea, tell them that you're happy to do a month for free to prove your worth. And then, obviously, if you become a scout, you get your, your petrol pays, you get a little fee, and you never know. You know, I, I know who was it? The guy at Norwich, um, Stuart Webber. He'd started somewhere. I think he worked for my manager somewhere, and he ended up going in, doing a really good job. Now he's like, he runs the whole club, technical director. You've no idea where they started. They started at the very bottom, uh, and they worked their way up. So it's not impossible, but you need to really put work into football. You need to go all over the country, no games, no players, know what to look for and what not to look for. With my scouts, I give them a bit of a, there's a certain sheet they've got to fill in, there's certain things I've asked them to look at that they kind of went, oh, that's interesting, that they never thought about, about looking at a player before warm-ups, before a game. I get my scouts to go into the crowd, sit there as fans and pick brains of fans about a player. Mm -hmm. Sometimes you can find out a lot about a player, and, and that's how we do it. Saturday night after we got beaten by Portsmouth, that's how I spent an hour. I was reading scout reports, Mm -hmm. you know, just to get my mind off that result and, you know, look to the future. So, yeah, it's what you got to do, you know, the little things you do, work never stops, right? And uh, this morning I'm analyzing stats and data that I've got from the last four weeks. So that that's a big window to the soul for me as well.
0: Yeah, I'm kind of embarrassed to say now, but in the 90s, I would write letters in those days to uh, the manager. <laughs> we all did. When I lived
1: in Spain when I was 15, I wrote letters to Liverpool. All right, I've still got some of the notes writing about players they should buy. We've all done it as kids. Do you know what I mean? Like I was 14, 15, we all That's did. That's about
0: it. when I was doing I got letters back from Lenny Lawrence on uh, these players that I was telling him about.
1: <laughs> it's really funny. When I, when I went into real estate, true story, uh, I was 20, I wrote Simon Jordan a letter and I sent him a whole proposal on buying real estate in Spain. And to my astonishment, his secretary rang me and said, you know, Mr. Jordan really appreciates you sending a letter. And you know, not going to do business this time but you know thank you very much and I thought you know well fair play yeah he didn't ring me himself but like he was this football club owner he had a lot of money he was very wealthy he was always coming to spain Funny enough, I think he ended up buying the places I sent him, but he just didn't use me, So, uh, which I tell him now as a joke. Do you know what I mean? But that's just funny. As young people, you do that. Even I did that when I was younger. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? So you do what you got to do.
0: Yeah, my my crowning um, joy was thinking that I had something to do with signing Darren Moore, who at the time was like some 18-year-old from Torquay who came with to play with us in the Premier League. <laughs> that's the extent of my scouting
2: background. Classic.
0: On the topic of scouts, um, is there a typical setup in League One or League Two? From I know that you're not the typical in how you go about it, but is there a, a typical League One or League Two? They'll have a chief scout and then they'll have a bunch of like part timers, or you know, how does it kind of work? Sometimes. Previous
1: managers I've had, I've always had family members who do their scouting for them, like Chief Scouting, you know, a couple of them like we've had on payroll at the time and whatever. Mm-hmm. Managers will always have go-to scouts they use. You don't call them chief scouts, they're just scouts. They get their petrol paid, they get paid a fee for going to the games. You have Tottenham, you've got David Pleat, who is so trusted. Daniel Levy trusts every word from him. So David will go out and he will be your Deli Alley spotter, your Ivan Tony spotter. He goes to loads of our games. I'd be amazed if I didn't see David tomorrow night at our game with the young players against West Ham. Um, that's what people like him do. And David's, David, David, please not a scout. This is a formal manager, technical director. He's, you know, he's someone you respect and listen to, and he still enjoys going to watch games of football. Every club's different. I'm not sure now with COVID we got rid of, you know, any kind of, my manager still had a couple of people he'd use outside of my guys. And we kind of stopped that because obviously we didn't have the money to, to spend on it and, 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 cuts needed to be made. So I'd say scouting took a serious dump in in the summer because of the pandemic.
0: Does scouts usually work for multiple clubs?
1: Yes, they can do. Yes. Some of them mm-hmm. some companies are out there who'll scout for loads of clubs at once. I was reading in The Athletic the other day, really, really good publication. I like some of their articles. They did a whole thing on like Man United and Liverpool scouting system. And it was fascinating the amount of scouts Liverpool have all over the world. Man United, hundreds of scouts all over the world and they have a central database and a system. And it's just for me, it's educational. You learn things all the time. You know, it's it's yes, we've got a great recruitment policy, but I can still learn and pick up tips.
0: There's probably things you can do to replicate that at a fraction of the cost.
1: Absolutely. Absolutely. So you're never too old to learn new tricks.
0: Yeah. Um, Now, I often hear about um, managers relying on agents as scouts. So they'll go out directly to agents instead. Like, to me, that seems like a bit of a conflict.
1: My pet hate. Every manager I've had has been the same. I love my gaffer at the moment, but he'd be the same. He'd he'd have certain agents. A lot of players' names will come up and you always go, Jesus, we're, you know, that player from the same age and that player, every manager is the same. Call it lazy. They've got so much on their plate that sometimes they'll have an agent ring them and go, you know, Darren, I've got five players, you know, this, this, this. And sometimes the players are good. You can't knock that. Sometimes it's the same agent to use. I'm not going to lie. I have an agent I've used for quite a few deals, you know, who's he's very, very good, um, who seems to always have the same young and hungry players I like. It's it's not because he's that agent. It's because it's coincidence. Sometimes I've always said Gary Monk's agent's got to be the best agent in the game. He's had so many. He's had more clubs than Tiger Woods, and some very very good clubs. And I said, what an agent he's got! You yeah. know, to keep getting him the same gigs over and over. So, um, it's a part of the game. And a lot of managers sometimes it can be too much of a conflict of interest. Where you know you you'll hear stories, and my manager's never been like that. Where you'll hear stories where an agent basically has got nine, ten of his players at the club, and that's too much.
0: Yeah, that's um, you know, that's what I hear a lot is. Oh, we went out to um, fought, we spoke to forty agents this week Correct. to get get the name out about what we're trying to buy, and um, you know it. <laughs> There's not that much independent thought. To me, that's where the conflict comes in because they're just going to be repping their own people, not the people who are the best for your club. Correct. All right, let's go into um, a couple of business questions. So Jeevan asked, uh, so he says he's a second-year law student at the University of Warwick. Uh, the question, and it's probably a hard one to, to answer again without a ton of context, but what do you think are the most valuable degrees to have in the world today so i'll put another way are there any particular degrees that you would prefer your kids to do
1: well given i've given, given i've never i've never met a poor lawyer so congratulations <laughs> you, you've made it <laughs> you know it's like i've yet to meet a lawyer is skint you know i, I would love m- one of my daughters to be a lawyer yeah 100 i've said to my daughter you know who does want to be a lawyer because obviously my lawyer is a female lawyer is brilliant uh, i've said look you need to meet her you need to speak about it she'd love to spend time with you and show you that world you know you need a language because i love my kids to be in corporate law you know i said you need to learn chinese mandarin yeah. because you know you put that in your cv you're getting jobs all over the world and you're probably going to get like high six-figure jobs when you get out of a good college so nowadays it's really important i think to have good degrees my partner jason's got more degrees you know than I've at our dinners phds he's a doctor he studied at three different universities he's obviously you know bordering on genius randy If these listeners probably laugh when i say this but jason <laughs> jason's that academic some people are built academically i'm not i could have gone and got a degree but i didn't have the patience at the time by the time i'd finished my degree he would have been 23 and i'd already started my business then and i was on my way to making a lot of money so different times different horses for courses i think nowadays everyone needs to get some form of a degree I was speaking to my kids yesterday about you do a, a bachelor's and then you can go on and do a master's afterwards. Mm-hmm. And then obviously if you're doing law, if you're doing medicine, sometimes you've got to go to another finishing school after that. Yeah,
0: I'm going to do your PhD.
1: Yeah, the more you can educate yourself and you can afford to do that whilst probably having to do work and have jobs, I think it's really, really important nowadays because competition is fierce. Um, and particularly if you're into, if you want to be an accountant or an architect or a lawyer or, you know, no, if you want to be a sales guy like me, Not necessarily, but, you know, if if you have a a divine talent, IT, creative design, you know, there's so many things now that you probably educate yourself better by going to a good college and then on to another, you know, and and do an undergraduate afterwards, if that's the right way to call it or whatever else, you know what I mean, or a master's on top. So yeah, I think big investment in yourself.
0: Yeah, it's kind of table stakes. If you want to go into the corporate world, it almost doesn't matter once you've got on onto the first ring of the ladder, but you're not going to get onto the first ring of the ladder without it. No, no. And, you know, I always would encourage people just to to get what they can while they can, because, you know, um, as life moves on, it's it gets harder and harder and harder to go back and invest in yourself Um, as you get more commitments and, you know, you you're earning more money. It's hard to give that up. Um, So if an opportunity presents itself, do it.
1: 100 percent. and I agree with you. I think the more you can educate yourself and better yourself, I think it's well worth doing and do it early. So you're not the mature student at the party.
0: No, the, the other thing is, um, you know, this is something that I don't have, but I would definitely encourage my kids as they're growing up is something related to coding or yes. relating to yes. you know, tech in some way, shape or form. Yes.
1: I got my son to do the coding in high school and he went into the advanced level and he, he was in bits. It was so complicated because he'd never done it. But I, I, I agree with you. That's brilliant. Well said, IT. If you've got any inclination to that way of the world, if you can get into coding early and you take to it like a duck to water, you're going to write your own ticket in Silicon Valley.
0: And even if you don't use it, like it's not because you may have a desire to be a career as a coder. But once you have that, because automation is essentially going to be... Correct. you know, Way of the future. That's where the money's going. Um, to understand, the, like, have the mindset of how it all connects together and what the act the possible is.
1: Million percent.
0: All right, let's go with uh, last question this week—an anonymous question, which is, um, you know, if somebody's approaching you to invest uh, or to buy one of your businesses, or sure. uh, maybe a business that you've already invested in, um, you know, that you're you're an investor in rather than an owner. What kind of criteria do you consider as to think, you know, what, should we be taking this money? Should we even be enter- entering into a conversation?
1: A tough one. Depends on the business. Depends if you had an exit plan. If I invest in a business, I'm always looking at three years to get out, mm-hmm. you know, and get paid. So that's at the end of that cycle, okay, it's time to negotiate. If somebody's courting you early on, you know you're doing the right thing, you've invested in the right business. And it depends who your partners are. You know, I've got this new electric bike business. I've launched them. We're, we're, we're launching in January. We've just done our video shoot with Amy Hart in, the, uh, in London, uh, uh, Love Island Girl. And, uh, you know, that was a great video shoot. It looks great. The, the product looks great. And again, I would expect within 24 months to have a sellout on that. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, but if someone came to us in six months and made us an offer, we couldn't refuse. So I said to you before, you know, you get an offer, you can't refuse. Sometimes you've got to take it on board and look at it. You know, yeah. sometimes you can stay too long. Early on in my real estate company, I told you within three years, Ascendant, one of the big companies back then, walked into me at a property show and offered me a high eight figures, and I laughed and turned it down because I was convinced I was going to be a billionaire. Uh, little did i know so um you know again i would always say pause have a moment have a think what is your goal have you got a figure we're all prostitutes we all have a figure we'll do things for what is your get out figure and if you have a get out figure and someone comes in early on even if it's on day one sometimes you got to do the right thing and take the figure
0: you know i see it's a journey as well so you know you could have the opportunity to take the money off the table which is going to set you up then you don't need to hit the ball out of the park on the first business Correct. Absolutely. Get yourself financially secure. Go again the next time.
1: Don't get greedy. Don't go past the point of sale. And don't overstay your welcome. Yeah. So, you know, there's some key points to when you're building a business to sell a business. Uh, and, you know, follow some rules. Uh, and obviously get your worth, what you think it's worth. If you can hit those three or four things and tick the boxes and write it down, your pros and cons, off you go, do a deal, move on.
0: All right. Well, we're going to wrap up there for the week. I do want to just encourage people. We didn't mention it last uh, time out, but still do continue to email us about if you have interest in the business um, podcast, the uh, kind of the mastermind program that we're going to be putting together next year. Um, there will be a page that ultimately goes up on the website, which will make it really easy for you to do and just pop in your email address. Definitely. But for now, just email it to us at contact at hardtruthfootball.com.
1: And some background to this is it'll be educational for people who want to, who are new to business, people who've been in business, people who are looking for advice, people who are looking to you know, make their fortune. Can't guarantee that'll happen. But you're going to hear from people who've run successful businesses and done good things in life. And, uh, yeah, we think it'll be quite successful. And, uh, yeah, if you want to sign up for that, if you're up for that email where Phil just told you. And, uh, you know, you'll get first access to it when it comes out.
0: Yep, And um, all the any questions you've got as well. Same place. Contact at hardtruthfootball.com or the website, which is hardtruth.com football.com slash contact and there's a form right there so all the information comes straight to us i got the questions that came in a little bit late today that are going to be in next week's episode so uh keep sending them in
1: great stuff thanks guys
0: until next week take care
1: all the best